episode 14, chapter 7, Bagman and Crouch. Harry disentangled himself from Ron and got to his feet. They had arrived on what appeared to be a deserted stretch of misty moor. In front of them were a pair of tired and grumpy-looking wizards, one of whom was holding a large gold watch, the other a thick roll of parchment and a quill. Both were dressed as muggles, though very inexpertly. The man with the watch wore a tweed suit with thigh-length galoshes, his colleague a kilt and a poncho. "'Morning, Basil,' said Mr. Weasley, picking up the boot and handing it to the kilted wizard, who threw it into a large box of used port keys beside him. Harry could see an old newspaper, an empty drinks can, and a punctured football. "'Hello there, Arthur,' said Basil wearily. "'Not on duty, eh? Well, it's all right for some. We've been here all night. You'd better get out of the way. We've got a big party coming in from the Black Forest at 5.15. Hang on. I'll find your campsite. Weasley, Weasley,' he consulted his parchment list. "'About a quarter of a mile's walk over there. First field you come to. Site manager's called Mr. Roberts. Diggory, second field. Ask for Mr. Payne.' "'Thanks, Basil,' said Mr. Weasley, and he beckoned everyone to follow him. They set off across the deserted moor, unable to make out much through the mist. After about twenty minutes, a small stone cottage next to a gate swam into view. Beyond it, Harry could just make out the ghostly shapes of hundreds and hundreds of tents, rising up the gentle slope of a large field toward a dark wood on the horizon. They said goodbye to the diggeries and approached the cottage door. A man was standing in the doorway, looking out at the tents. Harry knew at a glance that this was the only real muggle for several acres. When he heard their footsteps, he turned his head to look at them. Morning, said Mr. Weasley brightly. Morning, said the muggle. Would you be Mr. Roberts? I, I would, said Mr. Roberts. And who are you? Weasley, two tents, booked a couple of days ago. I, said Mr. Roberts, consulting a list tacked to the door. You've got a space up by the wood there. Just the one night? That's it, said Mr. Weasley. You'll be paying now, then, said Mr. Roberts. Ah, right. Certainly, said Mr. Weasley. He retreated a short distance from the cottage and beckoned Harry toward him. Help me, Harry, he muttered, pulling a roll of muggle money from his pocket and starting to peel the notes apart. This one's a ten? Ah, yes, I, I see the little number on it now. So this is a five. A twenty, Harry corrected him in an undertone, uncomfortably aware of Mr. Roberts trying to catch every word. Ah, yes, so it is. I don't know, these little bits of paper. You foreign, said Mr. Roberts, as Mr. Weasley returned with the correct notes. Foreign, repeated Mr. Weasley, puzzled. You're not the first one who's had trouble with money, said Mr. Roberts, scrutinizing Mr. Weasley closely. I had to try and pay me with great gold coins the size of hubcaps ten minutes ago. <laughs> Did you really? said Mr. Weasley nervously. Mr. Roberts rummaged around in a tin for some change. Never been this crowded, 
he said suddenly, looking out over the misty field again. Hundreds of pre-bookings. People usually just turn up. Is that right? said Mr. Weasley. His hand held out for his change, but Mr. Roberts didn't give it to him. Aye, he said thoughtfully. People from all over. Loads of foreigners. And not just foreigners. Weirdos, you know. There's a bloke walking around in a kilt and a poncho. Shouldn't he? said Mr. Weasley anxiously. It's like some sort of, I don't know, like some sort of rally, said Mr. Roberts. They all seem to know each other, like a big party. At that moment, a wizard in plus fours appeared out of thin air next to Mr. Roberts' front door. Obliviate, he said sharply, pointing his wand at Mr. Roberts. Instantly, Mr. Roberts' eyes slid out of focus. His brows unknitted and a look of dreamy unconcern fell over his face. Harry recognized the symptoms of one who has just had his memory modified. A map of the campsite for you, Mr. Roberts said placidly to Mr. Weasley, and your change. Thanks very much, said Mr. Weasley. The wizard in plus fours accompanied them toward the gate to the campsite. He looked exhausted. His chin was blue with stubble, and there were deep purple shadows under his eyes. Once out of earshot of Mr. Roberts, he muttered to Mr. Weasley, Been having a lot of trouble with him. Needs a memory charm ten times a day to keep him happy. And Ludo Bagman's not helping. Trotting around, talking about bludgers and quaffles at the top of his voice. Not a worry about anti-muggle security. Blimey, I'll be glad when this is over. See you later, Arthur. He disapparated. I thought Mr. Bagman was head of magical games and sports, said Ginny, looking surprised. He should know better than to talk about bludgers near muggles, shouldn't he? Oh, he should, said Mr. Weasley, smiling and leading them through the gates into the campsite. But Ludo's always been a bit, well, lax about security. You couldn't wish for a more enthusiastic head of the sports department, though. He played Quidditch for England himself, you know, and he was the best beater the Wimburn Wasps ever had. They trudged up the misty field between long rows of tents, most looked almost ordinary. Their owners had clearly tried to make them as muggle-like as possible, but had slipped up by adding chimneys or bell poles or weather vanes. However, here and there was a tent so obviously magical that Harry could hardly be surprised Mr. Roberts was getting suspicious. Halfway up the field stood an extravagant confection of striped silk like a miniature palace with several live peacocks tethered at the entrance. A little further on, they passed a tent that had three floors and several turrets. And a short way beyond that was a tent which had a front garden attached, complete with birdbath, sundial, and fountain. <laughs> Always the same, said Mr. Weasley, smiling. We can't resist showing off when we get together. Ah, here we are. Look, this is us. They had reached the very edge of the wood at the top of the field, and here was an empty space with a small sign hammered into the ground that read, Weasley. Couldn't have a better spot, said Mr. Weasley happily. The pitch is just on the other side of the wood there. We're as close as we could be. 
He hoisted his backpack from his shoulders. Right, he said excitedly. No magic allowed, strictly speaking. Not when we're out in these numbers on Muggleland. We'll be putting these tents up by hand. Shouldn't be too difficult. Muggles do it all the time. Here, Harry, where do you reckon we should start? Harry had never been camping in his life. The Dursleys had never taken him on any kind of holiday, preferring to leave him with Mrs. Fig, an old neighbor. However, he and Hermione worked out where most of the poles and pegs should go, and though Mr. Weasley was more of a hindrance than a help, uh, because he got thoroughly overexcited when it came to using the mallet, they finally managed to erect a pair of shabby two-man tents. All of them looked back to admire their handiwork. Nobody looking at these tents would guess they belonged to wizards. But the trouble was that once Bill, Charlie, and Percy arrived, they would be a party of ten. Hermione seemed to have spotted this problem, too. She gave Harry a quizzical look as Mr. Weasley dropped to his hands and knees and entered the first tent. We'll be a bit cramped, he called, but I think we'll all squeeze in. Come and have a look. Harry bent down, ducked under the tent flap, and felt his jaw drop. He had walked into what looked like an old-fashioned three-roomed flat, complete with bathroom and kitchen. Oddly enough, it was furnished in exactly the same sort of style as Mrs. Figg's. There were crocheted covers on the mismatched chairs and a strong smell of cats. Well, it's not for long, said Mr. Weasley, mopping his bald patch with a handkerchief and peering in at the four bunk beds that stood in the bedroom. I borrowed this from Perkins in the office. Doesn't camp much anymore, poor fellow. He's got lumbago. Chapter 5 